0: Good morning, and welcome to Inspired, your grown-up girl talk. I'm Stacey Fleets. I am here with Samantha Trevilius and Jennifer Tavani. Good morning, ladies.
1: Good morning. Good
0: morning. So, uh, you know, we, we all have our tribes of friends, right? We have our pockets of friends. We have our various tribes, and and I, I, my kids are teenagers and, and uh, in college and high school now, but I do remember back when I first got pregnant, it was very different with single friends who didn't have kids or married friends who didn't have kids. All of a sudden, when you're pregnant and having a baby or more, uh, you need a a different tribe and you need that community of mothers, people who are in it with you, people who have done it ahead of you. Um, It is a different feeling or it certainly was for me. So I am thrilled today that we have with us Heather Anderson, who runs Mamahood? Uh, a a what thirty five thousand members now?
2: We have Here about 40,
0: We have about forty thousand. That's amazing. Amazing. Uh, a a Facebook based group, correct? Yeah. Um, so I, I I can certainly appreciate this. I think anyone who has kids, and all of us do, can appreciate the need of having that that tribe as you move into the time of your life. When you are having children, so tell me a little bit about how that got started and how it honestly how how did it blow up like that?
2: Sure, yeah, thank you. Um, so I had a background in community building for my day job and my night job, um, and so it was it was accidentally related, but I just started the mamahood for myself. Um, I was intentionally building a different community. And using Facebook groups in a strategic way for other things, but I had a baby and I didn't have any friends that had a baby. So when I went to my birth class and my first breastfeeding workshop, Mm -hmm. I asked everybody in the room if they wanted to like stay connected. And we were originally going to all change phone numbers and we started to, and then it looked like kind of an unwieldy group text. And I thought, you know, how are we going to text each other at like 3am? So I thought it was a super odd idea. And I remember the people sort of looking at me like it was wacky, but I asked them if I could get their Facebook contacts and make a little group. And so it was weird back then, but obviously now it's not a weird idea anymore. But um, that's really all it was. It was a self-serving tool for me to connect to other people that had had a baby. You're an early adopter. Yeah, well, it was because I was in social media marketing for both my day job and my night job, which was my band business. I was always on the front end of social media because of that. So yeah, Facebook groups were brand new. They had literally just come out.
3: I met Heather, uh, Samantha here. So I met Heather posting on her platform for Sparkle one Christmas. We were looking for mothers and I thought, okay, I'm just going to join all these Facebook groups and start to blast about Sparkle and that we're here to help single moms. So I posted something, and all of a sudden she emails me. Actually, who are you? And we set up a call, and I don't know, was that four or five years ago? And we just became like two kindred spirits, um, because you know her focus is helping moms and women, and my focus is, of course, helping women. And so we just really kind of connected on that level. And I've watched this this group, you know, really blossom over the last few years. And and provide women not only that tribe, but also those questions and things that maybe some of us are thinking about, but we don't know how to ask. Um, There's also a lot of questions and, and provocative discussions that take place because, you know, people feel, I think, a little safer behind a keyboard and a computer screen than they maybe would in real life. And so one of the things I always find so fascinating is, Heather, how do you, like, monitor the discussions and keep things tame because people can be so crazy online. Um, and especially, you know, women when they're, you know, pregnant and hormonal, they can be a little rough, right? <laughs> and women can be rough in general. So how do you, how do you, how do you manage all that? I mean, it's a lot.
2: Yeah. You know, what's funny
3: is honestly the women, okay. A
2: couple things. So they, I don't find the discussions as 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 rough inside of our group as they are on the rest of the internet, I've started to live inside my groups. Um, by the way, when you ask the number of people, it's thirty five thousand in the main discussion group, but we have like breakout rooms, so we have fifty subgroups, and 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 so all the members together is about forty thousand. But about that is that in um, inside of our own bubble, I don't find things as ugly and nasty as when I go outside. So I've been living in a bubble, and when I dare go on YouTube, or I go on the outside Facebook world, or I look on Twitter real quick, I'm like, ah! Like, the comments are just so ugly. So I think um, going in, we try to set a tone so that when people join the group, they're, you know, warned that we have, like, a very strict kindness policy. Um, we are kindness and judgment. And we do allow difficult conversations, but we moderate certain categories in a very specific way. And that's what's made us unique. So we actually, um, a lot of moms groups particularly have a lot of topics off limits. Like we have no politics and that's a common rule as well. But we do allow discussions of social justice and racism. So that makes us unique because most just put that in an off off limits topic, and we get that question a lot. Oh, I thought this was no politics. Why are people talking about racism And our answer is you know racism and racial justice and social justice of all kinds is not political it 's a human rights issue, and um, it affects all moms because moms are human, <laughs> and moms come in all races so what we 've done instead is that we have um moderators that are trained in social justice, and we do a lot of education behind the scenes. We're constantly taking workshops and reading materials and learning um, different areas. Like last year, we have a very robust team that knows tons of stuff, more than me, like decades of social justice work. And I remember an instance where we were all caught off guard by something um, affecting the deaf community. And so there's always a new learning level. We were all pretty equipped in the racial justice area, but talking to some deaf moms, we realized we had no idea what we were talking about there and we didn't know what the triggers were, what was offensive. Mm -hmm. So it's a journey and we just stay open. We try to tap into the community and, and listen to what they're telling us. And we've gotten pretty good at moderating conversations by dropping a script. So if somebody asks a difficult question that we know is gonna be a hot button, we will approve it and then pin a, um, some guidelines in the first comment, and that's helped a lot. So, and that's people often,
0: a, yeah. It's gotta be a, a tough line to draw though, because, and, and I, don't, I don't wanna go too far down this rabbit hole, but um, it, it seems in this day and age, social justice, uh, racial justice, COVID, everything gets politicized. So when you say we're not gonna have political discussions, it almost limits you to um, wine and Girl Scout Thin Mints, because everything else will be politicized. So, uh, it, it, that how do how do you how do you find that line where you just say, okay, now you've
2: crossed that political line? It is really tricky. One simple way is that we say no partisanal debate. So don't mention a candidate. Uh, don't mention a party. And that's kind of an easier line to draw because it's in text. And you know, once somebody starts to say can't a candidate's name, then it's like, okay, let's bring it back to the issue. Let's bring it back to how we feel. We also ask people to keep statements personal. So um, somebody can always state how they feel or how they are affected by something and then it's not a broad judgment or a like a global statement. That really helps bring it home because you can have more empathy and compassion if somebody says, "Hey, this just happened in the news, or wherever, or to me in the park, and this is how I feel about it. And that way, you can just deal with it and communicate on a human level instead of um, a political debate. Would be more like, you know, a grand, st- a grand sweeping statement. So we try to keep things personal.
3: So one of the things too that I really um, have loved watching grow is this next level of the mamahood, which is the club which is a platform for women business owners. And I'd like for you to talk a little bit about how that came to head and what that is and what that provides to women business owners in, uh, you know, it's nationwide. It's not just Bay area anymore.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Um, so back when I mentioned that I'd been deliberately growing a community, it was something for musician entrepreneurs and related creatives. So I'd started, a physical space with a co-working building and a recording studio for musician entrepreneurs specifically, and maybe graphic artists and photographers, anybody that was in that kind of realm. And that was because I saw all my fellow band band uh, leaders and artists kind of struggling with the business aspect. Um, my band was not the most talented in the Bay Area, but it was one of the most successful. So, you know, we had talent and we weren't bad, but we were, we were more successful than a lot of our peers that were just as talented. So people were constantly asking me, how'd you do that? How'd you get that gig? Where'd you find about this contest or whatever? So I decided to start a community where all of the musicians could help each other and we could teach workshops, et cetera. So, um, because the mamahood eclipsed my music community and just grew faster than I could even control, I ended up shutting down the music community. I thought I was just temporarily pausing it for a few months, but really the mamahood just grew like a uh, grass fire. And um, right around the time where it had become an in, uh, like an involuntary full time job with no pay, my husband. <laughs> We, my husband's also an entrepreneur, and we take turns. And at that time, he was the sole breadwinner while I was doing this volunteer mamahood thing. And he was laid off, so it was kind of okay. Now I need to pull the trigger, and this needs to be a business. And there were several like basic options: should I charge the moms like a, a membership fee to be in the club? Um, or you know, I shouldn't say the club; that's going to get all confusing. To be in the mamahood. Um, should I do paid advertising and like have the Huggies banner across? That kept getting suggested to me, but um I like to work with local women-owned brands and I'm like, I'm not gonna do a paid ad with huggies. So I battled with all these things and threw spaghetti against the wall. After about two years, it finally hit me, which kind of sounds obvious when I told it in this way because I'd already done the same thing, but I realized I could go back to my original vision which was called Green Room Collective, and just open it up to all women businesses and not be so limited to musicians. And then I thought, great, I don't need, I can keep the mamahood open and accessible to all, which was my goal, because we have um, moms of all socioeconomic levels, and I didn't want to have like a barrier to getting help or getting in there and getting support. So I started the club, which is a paid membership, of women business owners, like you mentioned, that serve the mamahood. And I was so excited about that because it finally made sense that I could have sort of an ecosystem of support, keep the mamahood free and open and accessible to all, which would help it grow and be sustainable, but have it financially sustained by people with businesses who hopefully have the ability to financially sustain it. and then receive the support of the moms using their businesses and um, have that audience for exposure. So that's the model. Um, It's three years old. And yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think so the club- main- Go ahead,
1: Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I just say. So the club is a paid uh, subscription type thing where you belong and, and it's filled with women business owners in particular, and yeah. they service mothers. Is that correct? Am I
2: following? Yeah, they service the Bay Area. Basically, moms are people and have families, so they can service basically anything B2C, basically. Um, mm-hmm. We do have B2B members because the club does a whole bunch of stuff and if you just want the support of other entrepreneurs that's cool but our super special niche is that if you serve families in the bay area then you're pretty set up because we have 40,000 families for you to engage with
3: great wow, which that's is amazing. amazing and it's like Watching it grow. I mean, the tools and she's got a thing called the toolbox. So they've got a lot of great seminars and different ways for women to connect. It's kind of like skirts fleece, but like an online, like high level, like almost a LinkedIn skirts combo hybrid for women, um, because really women are relationship based when it comes to everything that we do, Um, and especially when it comes to business. And I know I'll speak for myself personally, like I would totally do business with a woman before I do business with a man. And that may be a little racist or sexist, not racist, but sexist. But honestly, like I wanna serve women like women serve me. And so you provide that. And and it's fantastic. I mean, it's really cool. If you haven't checked it out, please go online. Uh, You can get to it on Facebook or there are some websites we'll post at the end of the session too.
0: It is um, listening to, to the business model that you created to make this a, a, a true viable business instead of um, a yet another Heather Anderson volunteer organization. Because <laughs> you, you, like all of us, you know, I can't say no. Um, it does sound a lot like um, skirt working, which, you know, we did very, um, very localized. So really cool that you have this community And yet, uh, found a way to support it financially by actually, you know, spider-legging out to another, another, spider-legging, Samantha, Uh, to another place over here, and then having that feed the original, um, the original mamahood, which, which it, it is so needed as a community. And then you're, like you said, you're able to serve everybody of, of all socioeconomic levels, um, which is, uh, it's it's a very, it's a very creative business model. I like it. I'm here for it. I, I, that's uh, a smart way to go.
2: Thank you so much. I'm really excited because I've been trying to prove the model kind of AKA get it to a point where I can pay my bills. I'm not there yet. I'm totally transparent. I'm still like half a salary. um, But I think I can get to a full salary by the end of this year. And As I get closer, my plan was to make sure it was like a doable model and then spawn off our other regional chapters. And during COVID, a lot of our clubbers moved away and they missed that local community. So they've asked me if they could start up localized clubs in their areas that they are now. And that was always the plan. So they're kind of waiting on me to pull the trigger but we have people waiting now in San Diego, LA, Chicago, Sacramento, Seattle, Houston, San Antonio, just for starters, those are the ready-to-go the way clubs. To do it.
0: That's the way to do it. And here's, here's a weird connection, but I, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Junior League, which is an international women's service organization. But, of course, it started in New York a million years ago. And then, the, you know, the second chapter was, like, in Boston. The third chapter was in Portland, Oregon. And the reason that happened is because somebody from the New York chapter moved to Portland, and wanted to start a chapter in, in Portland. So it, it's a fantastic, actually fantastic way to grow, because now you have people who have experienced it, know what it looks like, know, know how it should look and feel, and have, know the culture, and then can set it up in their community. And then you've got another opportunity to, to grow another spider arm from there. So um, your, your growth over the next few years could be
2: huge. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready for I'm this? thinking, um, I'm hoping and thinking. So I have a lot of business coaches in my community. They're in my club. They're in my friend circle. And I have pretty much every single business coach telling me that I've kept the membership price too low. And this is my 2021 limit I gave myself. So my argument back, because they might be right, but I'm very, very stubborn c- because my vision was that the club would be low priced and accessible, that it could be the first thing that any new business tried and that they would be like affordable enough that they would just stay for life. Like, of course I'm renewing. And then if they wanted to work with more expensive programs or coaches, that they could stay in the club and do the pricier stuff, like do a $10,000 a week with a coach or something, but not have that be the club. Um, So we'll see. I gave myself the time limit of this year. And volume is the only way I can get there. So I'm hoping these regional chapters will be the answer. And then we'll see if I'm right or I'm wrong. I'm very often wrong. So we'll see. But that's no, why I have to get I think, you're,
3: I think you're so <laughs> right in so many ways. And you and I, we're both night owls. And we feverishly text and you know message each other back at 1130 at night and be like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? Because we've discussed you know, a lot of partnerships with Sparkle and just doing what we do to help women in different capacities. And I think that the growth of any organization is definitely about having those boots on the ground in different communities, because the women that are in San Antonio and in Dallas and, you know, Portland and wherever, they're going to be opening up to a whole bunch of other women that, you know, we here in the Bay Area would not know otherwise. And so I think what you provide to these gals and have an outlet for them to really grow. I mean, think about when you start a business, all the things you don't know. And all the things that women in your life help you to realize. And if you could have a leg up and, and get, get there faster, I mean, yes, please. And that's really, I think, what the club provides women is an ability to access those tools that they would not know or have access to otherwise in an affordable manner. I mean, what are you charging now? $100 a year? Uh, $500 a year. 500 a year. Okay. I, I think it started at 100 a year back in the day.
2: Yeah,
3: it, that was our, yeah, our launch price three years ago. That's great. That's great. I'm glad to see that it is. You are charging, not enough, but I think you are getting to a place where it definitely makes sense. Um, what are some of your big success stories, like you know, collaborations that you've been able to connect people? Is there any like really good stories that you've had happen with the club?
2: Oh, gosh. We have really cool stories every week, so I'll just be recent. Um, our favorite thing is fostering collaborations and that the spirit of collaboration and viewing um, similar businesses as potential collaborators and friends and um, co-conspirators instead of um, competitors. So we require, quote unquote, that everybody has an abundance mindset in the club versus a lack mindset where you're fearing that there's not enough to go around. And the I have a cool story. Seriously, every week. So this week, one of our um, one of our clubbers is a sugarer. She sugars people, like waxing, like your legs or your um, other parts, <laughs> and
1: anything that needs a little sugar.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and she um, was one of the only ones. I'm in the East Bay, and she was one of the only sugaring salons right before COVID. And except for one other salon that was a few cities over and they were like each other's only competitor in the county. And so they're kind of eyeing each other's Instagrams, little like, hmm, you know, keeping track of drafting off of each other. And then somebody suggested that they they connect and they went to coffee and being each other's only competitor, they completely hit it off because they were both. Trying to break ground on a new concept, like most people know how you go get wax, but at that time, nobody was really going to get sugared, so they were trying to educate the community and market and break ground and pay for their salons at the same time. so they instantly connected by their mutual struggles and they decided why don 't we cut our rent in half and split one of our salons and get rid of the other one that way we 're both like less stressed, and we can market to the same people and just keep our own names. So one moved into the other and they jointly worked out of one salon for a month and a half, totally loving it and having half the stress of rent before COVID completely shut them down.
1: COVID ruins everything.
2: (laughs) She didn't go into this part, but I thought about it later. Um, They were jointly shut down. So can you imagine separately they would have both gone through that struggle of what should I do? Should I give up my lease? Should I lose my deposit? Should I, should I hang in there and have an empty building? Like, should I keep it open? All those things that were incredibly stressful for brick and mortar salon businesses throughout the whole year, instead of doing all of those impossible decisions alone, they got to do them together because they were sharing that lease. So they did jointly make the decision to shut it down which was scary and depressing. And then they had no income, but they had each other, which is so cool because this is not what they had planned. And because sugaring was impossible, they jointly partnered on a completely new idea and launched a skincare product together, which they wouldn't have had maybe the courage to do alone because it was scary new territory for both of them. And they had to figure out every single step of the way. And now their joint skincare line will be out in like two weeks. So, and also they're just back to sugaring, which is why I was talking to her because they opened um, a few weeks ago.
3: So yeah, we have
2: stories like that.
3: (laughs) So good. It's so good. And I think like, again, women are relationship based. And so there's nothing that women can't do when they're put together and, you know, aim to succeed. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, we have so many stories where um, competitors turn into collaborators. I remember a nutritionist joined and she was like, Oh, there's another nutritionist in the club and we do exactly the same thing. And I gave her my standard, like when you join pep talk of, that's not how we view that. (laughs) And she came back to me because she ended up same thing, going to coffee with her other nutritionist, and they realized, yeah, we do the same thing and we market to the same audience. So why don't we just collaborate and we can both benefit from the double exposure to the other audience because it'll make our event more fun. Then we can like double our marketing for the same amount of work. Um, so they started hosting joint events and who cares because the events were free education building, marketing efforts anyway. And at the end, if somebody wanted to go deeper, they could pick who they wanted to work with, but the audience was double anyway. Um, so lots of, lots of stuff like that. That's like our, our guiding mission is helping each other out the hive mind aspect is so powerful. Like people will ask me, oh, I'm thinking of an idea, but I haven't launched it. I still don't have my name. I'll come back and join the club like in a year when I have my website done. Like, what are you talking about? You should join immediately before you even have your idea. If you just want to be an entrepreneur, get in here now, because this will hyperspeed every single thought you've ever had. Like you could say, does my name suck? which web platform should I use for my site? What's the easiest? What's the free one? What's the, you know, do I need a designer? Do I need WordPress? Did you guys use an LLC? I mean, every little moment that's going to hang you up for a couple of weeks when you're on your own will be like a five minute, like seven answers. And you, you know, can keep on trucking. And that that's really why I made the club because I've been like a solo entrepreneur entrepreneur serial freak since I was like eight (laughs) and and I didn't have any like serial entrepreneur freak friends I just had like normal friends (laughs) I had musician friends who didn't think music was a business and so um I I lacked that, you know, I'd be talking to my non-business friends and telling them about my email responders or my new URL, and they're like, oh God, other what? So I just wanted, I wanted those people that kind of got it and got excited about the same stuff.
1: That's so amazing. I, I, just thinking about all the different businesses you must have on there, do you have an idea of how many
2: different businesses have subscribed to the club, like, yeah, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. So we have about 700 members, and we, wow. don't, we don't have a lot of duplicates. Um, we have everything you can ever imagine. And my favorite challenge is if somebody posts in the club, like, I'm looking for a blank, do we have one? If we don't, I go find it. And I'm just, like, so excited, like, oh, my God, I cannot believe we don't have a toenail specialist. <laughs> I'm on that part and then I usually do find one and I'll invite them and tell them about the club. So we've been growing organically. Every time I see a missing need, I'll go get one. Um, and we, we're also only open to people who have started their own businesses right now. we In the beginning, that kind of differentiates us from a lot of different networking groups. We were open to all. We had a different niche. We were originally supposed to be open to anything. And you had to be a mom. And in the first week of launching, I changed both of those things. So five really cool women came to me and said, this is so badass! I want this, but I don't have a baby, so I can't join. And I thought, that's so weird. Like why would I limit this based on reproduction? Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just, you know, nobody had ever asked me that. And it suddenly felt really strange. So I didn't, uh, I changed that. So then it became women entrepreneurs and then a lot of people that were repping MLM and direct sales businesses jumped in in that first week. And I realized for a couple of reasons, what we do and our model doesn't suit them as, as well. So we have our original hardcore people if they s- have stuck with us for years. But um, since the launch, we've just required that somebody started their own brand, their own thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Which then do is people. Okay. I think it's okay. Sorry. I, I think that those that are hooked into the MLM, I find that they switch all the time. And so it's like the ones that are really into something they believe in is one thing. But when you're just signing up to to sell something and then you're onto something, it's it's really hard to get behind those types of um that mentality for me. And so I, I actually, when we do our Night to Sparkle, I kind of seek the same types of women businesses too, because I feel like there's a little bit of a different vesting in those gals. Not to say that those doing MLMs are not vested. It's just a little bit of a different vibe for me personally. And I think you can probably attest to that too. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: one of the things about that is that I feel like That's the first step for a lot of people. That's like the gateway. And then when you get a taste of entrepreneurialism and you realize what building a business is, most of the time you might realize that you are your brand. Like the thing that you're selling is just a tool and a product and a piece of of it. So if you're going to succeed, it doesn't really matter which company you signed up with, but people are buying you. You might be selling essential oils or skincare, but their people are going to buy it because they like you. And so you are the business. And once people like brand themselves as their name or kind of really understand that, then they could join because they can, they can have MLM product folded under them. They might be a chiropractor that also provides oil treatments on your back while you're getting your like adjusted, but it's like, you've got to have created something beyond that. That's your own self.
1: One more quick question before we close up here. Um, Do people have to be invited to the club or can they join if they are interested?
2: Um, Both. So mostly we are by invitation and application, but anybody that comes to me, I'll talk to them and get them in if it's a fit. We have an application. I just pulled down the public application. So people have to kind of like find me at the moment. We were doing a big membership drive in March and now it's publicly just kind of Stalled out, but if anybody comes to me, I'll get them in.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, gosh, this has been really amazing. And we want to thank uh, our inspired listeners for joining us today. And thank Heather Anderson from the Motherhood, Mamahood, and uh, the Club for joining us. Uh, we hope that you've learned that your competitors can turn into your collaborators. And we hope you become inspired.